At every practice, every game, every team meeting, we experience conflict within our team. More often than not though, our default response as leaders is to ignore it, just to hope it goes away uh, until it starts to become a problem we can't ignore any longer due to it clearly having a negative impact uh, on our relationships, um, our results, or our experience, or the team's experience. Well, what if we stopped ignoring signs of conflict and started actually looking for them, knowing that they are absolutely critical to our success? Well, in this week's episode, we have a return guest to the podcast, episodes 64 and 65 with Nadia Kaiba, where some of our listeners' favorites uh, over the last year. Now, Nadia has just released her book, This Is How We Roll, and she is going to share some of her strategies for transforming conflict into higher performance. As she says in her very first chapter of the book, conflict is not only inevitable, it's necessary. How a team deals with conflict is what determines their success. Welcome to the Coaching Culture Podcast. I'm JP Nurbin alongside my co-host, Nate Sanderson. And every week in 30 minutes or less, we're giving you transformational leadership tools and strategies. This podcast is brought to you by Thrive On Challenge, which provides mentorship for coaches to help them grow as a coach and build their culture. You can learn more at thriveonchallenge.com. You're listening to episode 112, Transforming Conflict into a High-Performing Team with guest Nadia Kaiba. Welcome back to the podcast, Nadia. I'm excited for the November release of your book, This Is How We Roll, A Coach's Guide to Transforming Conflict into a High-Performing Team. I've had the privilege of reading this book already, and it is 100% my recommendation for coaches uh, uh, this upcoming holiday season. So I know it's it's going to be released uh, this November. Now, the strategies you employ with teams uh, within your work around uh, conflict management and the, the, the strategies you're sharing uh, within the book, they come from 22 years of experience in uh, the field of alternate dispute resolutions in the uh, child welfare system. You've actually developed uh, techniques and methods of conflict management uh, that that can from that from that experience that can be effectively applied in the coach athlete p- parent trainer uh, relationship and also in all individual and team sports. So why don't you start today by telling us a little bit more about how important this book is for coaches? Thank you so much for having me back. I had a fantastic time the last time I was on the podcast and. It's been wonderful being able to keep in touch with both of you through the the process of writing my book. And um, I think I've I've asked both of you for some advice at different times. And so I appreciate that. Um, Yeah, I'm really excited. My book is actually coming out on November the 12th. It's on pre-sale now. Uh, It's called This is How We Roll, A Coach's Guide to Transforming Conflict into High Performance. So... Really, the book is about um, the concept of team building, but doing that through conflict management. Um, I'm a social worker. I mentioned that the last time I was on the podcast. And I think that a lot of the work that coaches do um, is also social work. You guys are brilliant social workers. You're constantly managing um, interpersonal dynamics and you're using different strategies. You're using creativity and resources um, for your teams. 
And I thought, well, hey, let's sort of marry the two um, professions and look at what some of, of the tools that we use in social work that can, can help coaches with, with dealing with some of the conflict. What happens in the book is I take the readers through a process where um, they learn different tools to um, understand what conflict is and then using that, um, be able to anticipate it and then finally address conflict um, with the hope that being able to address it is going to make their team stronger through greater cohesion. Um, generally, what I've found is that most people don't like dealing with conflict, whether that's coaches or, you know, if you're, if you're the leader of an organization, if you're a social worker, whoever. Yeah, Nadia, I think uh, you hit it on the head there, which is that we don't like conflict as coaches. We, we come up with a plan of how we want things to go. And when things don't go according to that plan or players don't buy in or we have kickback from parents, uh, we see them as that is really problematic. And you know, we're typically avoiding because we're afraid of we don't know how to deal with it. Or sometimes I think it's because we don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill like we, oh it's just something small it'll you know it's not a big deal and then but eventually those things start to add up and and whatever story we tell ourselves it's typically to get ourselves out of having to engage that conflict so take us through a bit of a process for how we can first off you know pick up on these conflicts early on and then how we can start to engage them i love that expression making a mountain out of a molehill jp thanks for thanks for saying that because that's that's sort of the test that I'm asking coaches and, and anyone who's in a leadership role um, to look at. So if, if you're looking at um, something where it is a disagreement, that's low, that's low stakes, right? But as soon as, so the question you need to ask yourself is, is there emotion? So if you're talking about playing time, yeah, there's emotion. If there's a parent getting involved in, in coaching decisions, there is emotion. That's not something that's just offhandedly happening at practice. And so that's where um, I'm asking coaches to push themselves to address it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell like a little story here about where, where this concept came up. I, um, in my other life, I'm, I work in child welfare and I used to facilitate team meetings to pl make plans for kids. So at the meetings, there'd be like social workers and doctors and um, school personnel and all different people who had different stakes in the plan for the child. And you can imagine there, there were really high levels of conflict at these meetings and me standing at the front of the room, I was having to manage them. So there'd be like side conversations and people would be rolling their eyes. And I was nervous because I really was invested in this team coming together to um, to reach their goals, just like coaches are. You're really, really invested as coaches to have a, have a good outcome for your team. So when I saw people um, rolling their eyes or whispering to each other or, you know, kind of turning their head and there was lots of nonverbal communication happening in that room, I would so often ignore it because I didn't want to make a mountain out of a molehill. But what would happen would be they would continue with the behavior and the behavior would escalate. So if they got away with it once, they would just keep doing it throughout the meeting and in subsequent meetings. And they weren't engaged in the team's purpose. And I think that that often happens for coaches. They, they ignore it. They, they don't address it. And then it, ju it just keeps escalating. Gossip happens. 
parents start, you know, going for coffee and um, complaining, but not directly to the coach, the coach knows it's going on. Um, and so what I would encourage is for coaches to put systems in place and to really anticipate when it's, when it's going to happen. And Nate, I think that that's a perfect example of that happening is right at the beginning of the season, as you spoke about in episode, what, whatever episode that was JP, I don't know, or Nate, um, where you talked about playing time is going to be an issue. Um, who starts is going to be an issue. I know that's going to happen. I'm going to be as transparent as possible. And I'm going to um, have face-to-face meetings with my team, with my players, so that they have some time to digest it. Because it's not, it's not always going to be good news. And, and you can't always sugarcoat everything. But you can be transparent and you can share with your players what it is that they need to do to move between roles, what, what they can do personally. Um, and so that's, I think, a really important system that you can put in place for your team. You can recognize um, places where there, there is going to be conflict or if you actually see conflict happening, put systems in place where you're having those regular team meetings and you're making them mandatory. And then during those meetings, when you see things happening, when you see eye rolls, when you see that those nonverbals or people not showing up, you have face-to-face meetings about that and and you call it out every single time right every single time you see an eye roll every single time you you see people whispering you can make comments um about the behavior and just and be curious and that way you can create a forum where people can talk about well what is going on why are they not buying into this meeting what is it that's that they're thinking about just interpersonal conflicts off the court or off the field Sometimes as coaches, I think we're so like, man, we've got all this stuff going on here. Like, how is it my responsibility to deal with stuff off the court? Like, these two girls don't get along. Like, why is that my responsibility? And I think a lot of coaches say, hey, that's, that's, that isn't. You know, and they kind of just step away from it. We don't engage in that conflict because we're unequipped. So let's say on my team, I've got a few players that are, they've got something going on off the court. There's clicks, there's drama there. What type of systems do you have for coaches to engage that conflict in a healthy way? Okay, so I'll give an example. Um, There's a basketball team that I know, and they travel pretty regularly, and the coaches leave the players to figure out their own rooms. And so so it's always the same kids in the same rooms, and there's one kid who the other players don't necessarily like as much. And so she's left out, right? And what the coaches say is, well, they, you guys, you're old enough that you need to sort this out yourselves. They're 17, these kids, Um, but they don't sort it out. Like they're not motivated to sort it out. And I think what the missing piece is, is how does that then impact them when they're on the court? So then it is the coach's problem, right? And so if the coach were to set up a system where they're they're having to move rooms every every time they travel or every time they're sitting on a bench. I, I recently interviewed this amazing hockey coach and he has all these systems in place for exactly that. Like carpools are set up so that kids get to know each other because they're in different cars. And oftentimes clicks is just about people not knowing each other. And and same with bullying. 
right? People get labeled a bully and therefore everybody on the team doesn't like them or the parents don't like them or the, co you know, whoever doesn't like them. But it's, it's about giving people opportunity to have face-to-face -face conversations and get to know one another. You know, the funny thing about that is whenever you start a new season, like my last two years at Linmar, we come into the first practice or the first workout in the summer and all the seniors that know each other are kind of in their little group getting their shoes on. And then the juniors are over here and the freshmen are back on the wall, you know, and I remember my first two years going up to the seniors and just being like, listen, you need to enjoy this circle today because I'm not going to allow this to continue to happen. You can't do this tomorrow or you can't do this when we come to practice on the next day. And it's funny when they come back, they gravitate toward those same groups and the seniors look at me, but they don't like they don't necessarily even have the social skills to go up to a sophomore and just sit down next to them and ask them about their day while they're putting their shoes on. Like that seems like an awkward step because they just don't practice that. You know, they don't do that in their classes. They don't like, like that's not a, a social skill that they pick up early on. And so, you know, one of the things you talk about intentionality with the the carpool or the coach assigning the rooms or whatever, we've started our first week and sometimes even our first two weeks of practice. We start with what we call triangles. So we have a someone from the freshman team, the JV team and the varsity team, they get in groups of three and the first, you know, three minutes of practice, we just ask, get to know you questions either about their day or about, you know, things they like or what they like in basketball or whatever. And so, but we've had to create a system in order to facilitate the sharing because it just isn't natural for them, even for our leaders, to go up and initiate those conversations without us sort of forcing it to happen, providing the questions. And then all of a sudden, you know, a week, two weeks later, just the, the cohesiveness, everybody's, you know, talking at the water fountain, like across grades, across teams, like those little things can go so far. But sometimes coaches just think, well, it's not my responsibility. My leaders should do it. My seniors should do it. And the reality is they may not be equipped to do it either if you don't intervene yourself. Absolutely. I what that's one of the things that I train in my workshops is doing icebreaker activities like the one you're describing and really encouraging coaches to do those all the time. Like you can do a you can do a quick icebreaker halfway through a practice, you know, like at a water break. Hey, let's just sit down and have it have a conversation about tell tell me how you got your name or tell me a funny story and just getting to know each other and like you're saying doing it in smaller groups sometimes is is less intimidating it's a little bit more natural but all of those little steps are are ways to deal with conflict because when conflict comes up people know each other by that time and they're more likely to be able to have those face-to-face -face conversations because they've been doing it in a fun and natural way prior the other thing that i've thought a lot about here recently is we're getting into the new season here and you know jp and i have been talking a lot over the last six months about limbic systems and our natural defenses and how our brains are constantly like searching for threats. And, you know, one of the things that I think is such an inhibitor to being able to handle conflict in a positive way is that if you, if you don't have a track record of safe interactions and even enjoyable interactions with people, and I don't care if that's player to player, coach to player, coach to parent, when something arises, you know, and the only time that you're interacting is when there's an issue or there's a disagreement or there's a conflict, now, not only are you trying to deal with this issue in a logical way or a rational way, but all of the, you know, built-in defense mechanisms that have kept us alive over, you know, our evolutionary history 
are also at play because, you know, you start to feel that anxiety and you start to feel, you know, those stress hormones start to release. And, and now we've got all this emotion that's part of that, that process too. If you don't have a track record of, it's okay to talk to this person, this is a safe person that, you know, that you can share with. And that's been challenging for me just thinking about how I interact with parents over my first couple of years at Lindmar is, am I doing enough to establish you know, that track record of it. we can have safe interactions and make it easier when we do have something difficult to talk about that we don't necessarily have that toxic mix of emotion, at least as intense, if we have a little bit of a history of, of better conversations prior to that. Oh, absolutely. You have to, it, it ha that, and that's all part of normalizing it. It's part of having that conversation at the beginning that conflict is going to come up. There's no question it's going to come up. And it's going to be normal. It's going to make your team better if you guys can work through it effectively because you're not going to be afraid of it and avoiding it. It's not going to fester. So, and I think that that limbic system example is, is a perfect, um, it's a perfect example of that because if you, if you give people those opportunities to normalize it and, um, and they, they know that they're going to have a forum to be able to do that. It, it works. It works really well. What are the, things that we've found really, really effective with a lot of programs is, is we have what's called a captain's or a leadership council. But one of the strategies within that system that I think is really effective is we create groups. Like so every captain or leader is looking after two to three players and they have to, their role is to see how am I like seeing themselves as a, as a servant and kind of a mentor to those people. And you know, sometimes we use those to facilitate some like of the triangles or, or circle conversations before and after practice. Uh, but even just today, I'm, I'm working with a team down here in Georgia and they're first, like they're, they're going to be put into the groups for the whole season. And today they're one of their first things they're going to do is uh, those captains are going to serve the team meal. And I think it's just going to be pizza and soda and drinks like that, but they're going to serve that meal to their players. Uh, but then also when they're sitting down having a, their first conversation as a group, it's just gonna be something fun. It's just gonna be a positive interaction where that's gonna kind of segue into our big team conversation where we're really gonna eventually build into when we start to experience conflict as a team this season, how do we wanna support each other in those moments? How do we wanna be with each other in those moments? And we're gonna talk about, and we're gonna to bring to the surface like when we're struggling with playing time issues, when we're struggling with um, you know losing a few games or when we're struggling with, you know this guy's moved into my spot. Like, how are we going to actually behave and act in those moments? And I think just anticipating that conflict and talking about, you know, what is our response going to be in those moments? I think that can be really, really powerful as well. Oh, yeah, I think that's brilliant. You start you start practicing where there's low, um, it, like there's low stakes, right? In that way where you have that um, and, and you start your communication skills at that point and then when the high stakes are are there then like you're talking about Nate your your limbic system is is um has exercised that muscle and you know that you you can you can manage it and it's not going to have all this other stuff festering behind it yeah that's such a great idea and what i also love about that is you're engaging your leadership on your team it's not all falling to the coach because it shouldn't all fall to the coach that your athletes should be responsible for being able to manage conflict and, and giving them, them that um, authority to be able to do that is huge. And I think what's really cool about that, like you said there, is that we're trying to work with players to, to manage the conflict of it. So it's not always just 
like off the court issues. I think so often it's kind of uncomfortable for us as coaches, like to if the players are having issues and there's a dispute, like okay, maybe we shouldn't be actually getting involved. Maybe the players need to work together to kind of sort that type of thing out. You know, depending on the severity of the conflict or bullying, all that type of uh, that stuff. You know. Because we're not, we shouldn't be the you know trying to police behaviors. That's not really our job, you know. I think that that that's what's so effective about that system. As a coach and as leadership on your team, training your team to not to not let things slide. Like I just want to go back to that point to to name it every single time you see some nonverbal or even verbal, name it, call it out at that point, right from the beginning. Nate, you're just starting out with your season. And I think that through my own experience, that's been a really big learning curve because I've had some things go really sideways by not by avoiding and not naming things when I when I've seen them. And I think there is an artistry to that, too. You know, just again, going back to kind of our natural defense mechanism is like we had a pregame or preseason meeting just to hand out information and stuff earlier this week. And as I was talking through the schedule you know, we had somebody kind of four rows up, leaning over and whispering to her, you know, buddy next to her or whatever. And everybody else is all locked in. And I just paused for a second and a very friendly and non-threatening, no anger, just, hey, did, did you have a question that I need to get to? You know, and it wasn't like stop talking. It wasn't call them out. It wasn't shaming or embarrassing or anything like that. And it was like I'm learning that there's an art to being able to address something in a non-threatening way that communicates the message to, to try and not trigger them, you know, in terms of escalating a response, but also just being able to communicate that yeah, we, we don't do that here. You know, we, we don't talk when the coach is talking and then we just move on. Like it's not a big deal, you know? And I think sometimes we just, we think confronting that is fly off the handle, make an example of somebody. I mean, I did that for years in the classroom and that was not as effective as you might think, <laughs> you know? And so learning different strategies to be able to do that, I think is so important. I think that's set. That is a brilliant move on your part. You saw it, you named the behavior and um, you gave them the opportunity to share with the bigger group, whatever concern they had. Right. Hey, I saw you whisper. I, I saw you whispering. Did you like, is there, is there a question? And you, you're setting the tone for the whole season. If you had ignored that, that stuff would continue on. Right. Uh, Nate had a great phrase there. Like, that's not who we are here. We try to really encourage teams when, when we come up with standards to use our standards of behavior more around identity statements. Like we're a team that encourages each other when people make mistakes on the floor, like all coming back to those things. So when we're behaving in a way that's unacceptable, that we can, we've already kind of given them the language, the semantics to use in here, because I think as coaches and as players, it can be it's really powerful just say hey that's that's not who we are here that's not what we're about here and i think that's really really powerful and we're not really necessarily calling them out we're just reminding them of who we want to be and i think another powerful thing that we do in the, in the councils and the small groups that that you know is a powerful question that i got from nate a couple of years ago which is you know talking about the experience we want to create and this comes back to even just like the hotel room situation you mentioned earlier nadia which is you know, how do we deal with that? Well, it's one of the powerful things you could do in those situations is pull your captains or your leaders together and say, hey, how can we create a great experience, that experience we want for the team? How can you create that experience for your for the, your people and your group? And that's a to come back to the limbic system and, and the brain there. That's getting them to empathize with other people, how they'll feel 
and, and being kind of socially aware of that they have a certain responsibility for other people's experience. JP, I was having a conversation with a, a coach this week, and um, he was anticipating the possibility of conflict happening as they've kind of changed um, one of the values in their program. So just a little bit of backstory. Basically, one of their pillars is the idea of commitment, and yet they're faced with this issue of, well, what do we do with players that weren't committed in the offseason to their workouts or their weightlifting or whatever? Do they have the same opportunity to, you know, to play and perform and compete? And if they do, does that undermine, you know, kind of what we've said commitment is so important to us? And essentially what he's asking me is, I'm afraid that this is going to lead to conflict. What do you think I should do? And I think one of the, the best pieces of advice that I've heard in a situation like this, and Nadia, maybe you can address this a little bit, is I, I just said, coach, just ask your players, like ask them what they think, tell them, you know, this is how we're thinking about moving forward and, and ask them and just engage in the conversation rather than, I think so often we try to make decisions that are going to avoid conflict without actually having the information from the parties at hand. And so rather than engage in dialogue and start working through it and walking through it together, we just hope we miss the minds in the, you know, in the minefield and make decisions that aren't going to you know, upset feathers and cause people to, to have conflicts instead of just engaging from the beginning. Nate, that was, it was, that was so brilliant. I absolutely agree with you because the conflict is going to be between the players. And so it's not up to the coach to figure that one out. It's up to, you have a team meeting and you put that on the table. Like how as a team, do we want to address this? What do you guys think is fair? What's, you know, and you have that that dialogue and conversation and get their input and maybe have those conversations about values that you talk about it in your book, um, JP, like have have those conversations, like what, what are our team's values? Is it commitment? Is it hard work? Are those your values? What values do we share and and work through that? And what what is the consequence of, of you know, one player maybe has lower commitment? So how do we incorporate them on the team? Are they, you know? But put that back to the player. It, the, the onus shouldn't be on the coach. The, the onus is on the team. If you want to have that cohesiveness and if you want to have a real spirit of collaboration. Now, just as we're finishing up here, can you give us a little bit more just as maybe a big takeaway from the book or something we should really look forward to when we, when we open that up um, this winter? The biggest takeaway is that conflict is a good thing even though even though people don't enjoy it conflict will make your team stronger and um the phrase that i use through the book is moving your team from conflict to cohesion and to do that you anticipate it you put tools in place where people are comfortable with having tricky conversations they really understand what conflict is and name it when it comes up and if you if you can do that, your team is going to be ahead of the game. But you you have to put the time in. So it's not just going for those team building dinners. It's not you know bowling. It's not doing those things. It's having those hard conversations at team meetings at regular intervals through the season. Now that's it for our conversation with Nadia. Uh, this is how we roll. It's going to bring you a very uh, easy to understand uh, framework uh, that that Nadia presents. Uh, various concepts and tools that are going to help you right now transform conflict on your team, right? You're going to learn how to create a unique team brand that's going to set you apart at every practice, every game, and every tournament, both on the court, 
and off the court or on the ice, on off the ice or on the field or off the field, you're going to witness your team transform through the, the conflict uh, resolution method uh, that she presents in her book. So definitely check it out. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Also, I'm going to have a link uh, in the episode details for a free chapter download of, of, of Nadia's book. It's also going to be the podcast uh, notes for this week's episode as well. To just check out her book, read the first chapter, and support the work she's doing because it's going to bring back so much to you and your program.